there's a place called Homer, Alaska. You look, look across into the mist and there's Russia and there's a sign that says end of road. And we were parked there in a little campsite on the beach. I got a, an email. It was from Sam. I said, this is from Sam. It said, do not do the Bond film. I have a film, very ambitious, sending script now. And ping, the script comes through. I read it in one hour and 58 minutes. And Amy said, you finished with that? I said, yeah. She said, I've got to do this. This is the most amazing thing I've ever read. You are listening to Change Lab, conversations on transformation and creativity. I'm Lauren Buckman, president of Art Center College of Design, and today I'll be speaking with Dennis Gassner. Dennis is an Art Center alum and legendary production designer for whom storytelling is a mother tongue. It's the language, the context, through which he processes the ideas of a script and shapes the worlds his characters inhabit on screen. The six-time Oscar nominee is best known for the technically ambitious and artfully realized environments he created for six Coen Brothers films, the last four James Bond movies, Blade Runner 2049, and Bugsy, for which he won an Academy Award. Dennis received his latest Oscar nomination for his stunning work on 1917, a World War I epic for which he designed, built, and destroyed French villages and battlefields, all seemingly filmed in one take. And he did it with his longtime collaborators, director Sam Mendes and cinematographer Roger Deakins. On the eve of the most recent Academy Awards show, I interviewed Dennis in his home, which is steeped in Hollywood history and filled with artifacts from his films and the places they've taken him. As we sat facing each other on two Art Deco couches used to furnish the set of the Hudsucker Proxy, we discussed his transition from architecture to production design, his discovery while at Art Center that facing fear is fundamental to creativity, and his conviction that successful storytelling is best measured by the heart rather than the head. Please enjoy my conversation with Dennis Gassner. As a fellow Canadian, I want to start with your life in BC. No. Yes, I am. Yeah. From where? Toronto. Okay. Born and raised there. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I tend to have an interest in the background of people I talk to anyway. Of and course, I, yeah. I mean, I'm interested in your background in BC, but I'm also just interested in your own memories of yourself as a child and what your creative spirit was at that time. Because there's often a really interesting thread from that to what people are doing now. You're absolutely right. In fact, that's a great question because I, can, I, can, uh, I have a story to tell you about that. I was born in Vancouver. My family moved when I was five from, from Vancouver to Portland, Oregon. And when my father and his twin brother were building our family home, I came up to, to my fa father and said, Daddy, can I have a job? Well, I, need, I need to have a job. I had a lot of energy. And he, he kind of looked at me, and they were framing the house. And, and he says, well, here's a little tin cup. If we drop a nail down the dirt, just kind of pick it up and bring it back. Hmm. I went, okay, great. I grabbed the tilt kim and went down, ping, there was a nail, oh, down, down, dirt crawling around, it was great, it was fantastic, and pretty soon I had a bunch of nails and came back up, and he says, he says, well, can you give me one of the nails, and I said, uh, yeah, so I handed him a nail, and 
He says, oh, it's bent. He said, oh. He says, well, here, here's a little hammer. Go straighten it. So I grabbed the hammer and I pounded, pounded on it, and I showed it to him. He goes, no, it's still bent. And, oh. Pound, 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 pound. And I showed it to him. He goes, good. And he took it, and he pounded it into the wood. That's the first time I ever built anything with my father. Yeah. And then I saw this house emerge around me, and then I got to live in that house. It came all the way through. It, it, it was a foundation for me. So that strength is what I got from my father, uh, him not knowing what that was. But at least it was such a profound memory for me uh, to look back into it. And it was to me, it was always about the details. And it spawned an interest in architecture, too, for you, too. That, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that, and that, so that's that pivotal when, experience. When, when, when I went through school... Um, I uh, was an athlete at, uh, through through all my high school. Uh, what sport? Football. So I got a full scholarship at University of Oregon, uh, and they asked me what did you want to do, and I said I want to be an architect. And they said, well, great architecture school, and so they signed me up, and that was the beginning of learning, and learning, mm-hmm. and also performing. So I ended up um, my senior year. I was a captain of the football team, uh, and. And, but I had this doubt, and there's this one little doubt in the back of my head. I mean, I'm curious about lots of things. And, and one of the things that was, there's this English word called niggle. It was niggling in my brain. <laughs> and it, uh, it was about uh, the engineering side of, uh, if I'm going to build the biggest building in the world, which is what you're taught, will it fall down? And a friend of mine said, oh, Dennis, you think too much, you think too much. And I said, yeah, well, there's this film. You should go watch this film. Yeah, and so, uh, so I uh, went down, watched the film on the weekend. It was the most powerful thing I'd ever seen. And at the end of this film, everybody cleared the theater. Uh, the lights came up. I looked at the white screen, and I pointed at it. And I said, who's the architect of that? And the film was called Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia, the man torn between two civilizations. And I said, that's big. That's bigger than any building. That's bigger. That's a whole world. Lawrence of Arabia, filmed against a canvas of awesome magnificence. That's what I'm going to do. So I took uh, my uh, six-month-old daughter and my wife, my first wife, Stephanie, and uh, packed my U-Haul up and went down to Art Center. All right, so before we get there, let's stay with that pivotal moment number two, the watching of Lawrence Arabia, while you're a student in the architecture school. Yeah. And say more about your perception of that film or your experience of that film uh, in architectural terms or through the lens of your architectural experience at the time, or what was it that made you talk about it that way and see it that way yeah. in such a In a way, it wasn't experience. the architecture. What it was, was the feeling that I got from the film. So to me, I'm extremely, there's a, people say, Dennis, what, what do you consider yourself? And I said, well, I actually consider myself a method production designer. There's the, I don't know if you know. Method acting. The, the method acting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the understanding of the emotional side of it so it was emotion the emotion of the film that that i felt i felt because it was in cinemascope first of all i've never seen cinemascope cinemascope 
developed by 20th Century Fox, is the most revolutionary screen effect since talking pictures began, more than 20 years ago. That wide screen, it was so immersive. And, and that power, if I'm going to stand there and look at the Empire State Building, I'm looking at it from the bottom and up. I'm looking at that and I go, well, that's really an amazing thing, an accomplishment. And it's standing and I see it, it's been here for a long time. Okay, that's really great. But what's the story of that building? Where is Peter O'Toole in that building? In a way that parallels method acting of the story of the character in the background. Correct. So all of a sudden it became about what's the story? So I realized that story is the biggest thing. It's a story of my father and the nail. I told that story a lot, and people always have this kind of moment. That that's more powerful than actually putting the nail in the wood. And I realized that story was everything. I'm curious, Dennis, what, what for you makes a great story? What are the markings of it? Uh, how I feel what it does to me, uh, what do I learn from it? Mm. It's that combination of all the things that, uh, that we want to have when we're on this exploration of learning through our lives. And how can I, how can I, how can I be a stronger person through the stories that uh, people tell me? And how can I pass that on to other people as well, too, so that we can keep the thread of, uh, of humanity strong? We'll get back to a lot of those things, but let's uh, circle back to your story. And so you have this pivotal moment. You see Lawrence of Arabia. You pack your bags and your baby and your family, and you come down, and you came to Art Center. Uh, there why two, Art Center? Two, well, there were two—I'll two, tell, you, tell you why. Um, when I'd had that epiphany that through Lawrence of Arabia— uh, actually moved back to Portland, Oregon, and, and there was a billboard that I had seen. I don't know, I can't remember the subject matter or anything, but it was so beautiful. And I saw this as a piece of design and art, and I actually sought out who did it. And I met the man who did it, and we had a meeting, and he, he, he said, uh, well, show me some of your work, and I showed him a little bit of the graphic design, because I also dabbled in graphic design as well. And he said, well, you've got... You have a sense. I can see you have a sense, but you need to have tra- more training. And I said, that's what I'm asking you. Well, how do, where did you get your training? He said, at Art Center. He said, there's two places you can go. You can go to Pratt or you can go to Art Center. And so I applied to both. I was accepted at both. But, I mean, this is <laughs> by shock to me. And so I literally moved. Beautiful. What are the memories of your experience at Art Center in terms of what you felt like you learned? There are a couple of stories that I that I can tell about that. Uh, there was this the, the single thing that I wanted to, wanted to go there was a French cinematographer. I don't remember his name. It was a very small class of. It was one of the first film courses that was given there. So I signed up for that, and then also uh, Eric Tierman's. Uh, some appreciation course, which was watching movies and talking about them. So it was kind of, there were gra- graphic design, part, there was, uh, you know, painting and this uh, car design. It was everything. It was like, it was just so full on. But the strongest of the memories, other than any of the technical side, was the thinking side. And Lawrence Dryband set a problem. He said, I want you to create something 10 times larger than something you find. I mean, the whole class kind of sat there kind of quiet for a long time. 
and and I think I I didn't say anything. I just left, and and I remember trying to think about how how I was going to go about doing that. Secondly, was. Uh, in the film course, and the film course was really interesting. And the teacher said, uh, the way this is going to work is that you're going to make um, a, one film a week, and we have a Super 8 camera, and you can share the camera, and you're going to make this movie, and it's going to be based on uh, this one word that I'm going to tell you. And the word is frenzy. Frenzy. Yeah. Similar to something 10 times larger, I sat there quietly and thought. Came back into class the next day, and uh, there was one person that I knew that, uh, that lived locally. And I asked him, I said, is there anybody that you know that has an orchard? And he said, uh, yes, actually, an uncle of mine does. So let me, he said, would you mind calling him and seeing if he has a swarm? He said, okay, I'll call him up. So he came back to me the next day and he says, oh, I called Michael up and he says, yeah, there's a swarm. I said, oh, good. Would you ask him if I could come up and, 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 uh, uh, and look at it? And uh, he said, okay. And he came back in the afternoon and said, yeah, he says, it's fine. Says, so I said, okay. So I found, got my roll of film and, and the camera was available and so I went up to a place called Sierra Madre and came up uh, to this piece of property, it was about an acre of land, and there were orange trees there. And I walked onto the property and, and found this old gentleman who's sitting by a small building, and I introduced myself, and I said, I heard you had a swarm here, would you mind uh, if I went down and took a look at it? And he said, she said, yeah, I says, well, yeah, there's two ways you can do that. He says, you can wear one of these suits right here that's hanging on the, on the side of the building, or, or not. Hmm. And I said, oh, okay, interesting. What would happen if I did the not side of that? And he said, just move slowly. I said, okay, thank you. And so he pointed me in the direction. I went down there and I came and I saw the swarm. And I looked at it and I said, hmm. I said, okay, well, how am I going to do this? thought about it for a little bit and I started so I put the camera to my eye and I started walking towards the swarm and as I got to the swarm all the bees came over me totally came over me, consumed me into black and then I figured all oh, that was about a minute and a half and then I just slowly walked backwards and they all left me. And I got back to my first position and the film ran out and I said, oh, good, okay. And I left. And I came back and I showed that the next week and my, my teacher looked at me and said, you are crazy. You're gonna be a good filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> Not a sting either, right? Isn't that interesting? So that's what Art Center taught me. It was the... It I was, think a lot of students will relate to walking into a swarm, yeah. Though they may, have, may claim to have been stung once or twice. Correct, but the, but the idea for me was, um, was the thinking more than anything else. It was the, um, one, the tenacity, 
of an idea. Mm -hmm. Now mm -hmm. I went back into my history in my thinking because I thought well, in in frenzy, what does that mean? And when I was probably 10 or 12 years old, I saw a swarm across the street. There were some trees that had been just planted in, in the neighborhood on the parkway. And uh, they were about 10 feet tall. And I was fascinated by just watching them. You sit on the across the way on a little hill in the, in the grass and, and think, and as I often did. And, and I, and one day it was different. It, there was this ball on it, and I said, "Oh God, what's that? Ooh, there's something moving around. This is like..." So I start. I walked halfway across the street, and went, "Hmm." I said, I, I think I'm going to walk back and go back and sit where I was sitting. I thought, I'll just see this. And the next day I got up and it was gone. And, and that's where the idea came from. Right. So the thing that Art Center taught me how to do was to, to look back into my own history and say, what moved you? What moved me into, and how could I relate that to that word? And basically, I'd have taken all of this historically to do what I do. I mean, it's all part of... And interestingly, the, another echo of method acting, really, right? Absolutely right, yeah. Of course, it is that. It's, it's, it's right. finding what, uh, what is important and how, and how emotionally you're connected to it um, and, and what the strength is. Because it, the, this business is extremely hard. And if you don't have that passion in you, as, as Sam had the passion in 1917, because when he was 12 years old, he sat at, uh, on the carpet listening looking up his at his father, listening yeah. to his grandfather tell the story yeah. of that mission. Well, and that was, that was in him his whole life until he got to a place, a place where he could do, do something like this so anyway, that's, that's the, that was the... Beginning. I would add only one interesting layer to your story of the swarm that is, I think, resonant with an art center education. That is, there is that thinking, there is that following through on the idea, but there's also the sense that you didn't fully know it until you actually started that walk to it. You yeah. couldn't, you started to make it, essentially, and that yeah. making process was your way of discovering ultimately what well, it's it was. Well, it's about, to, to me, it's about facing fears. So the fear of the unknown. Right. Two very pivotal moments in my career. One was when Barbara Broccoli uh, invited me. I got a call from my agent, and my agent says, this is really strange, Dennis. I go, what? He said, we got a call from Barbara Broccoli, and, and she said that she wants you to design the next Bond film. And I said, that is a strange thing. And I said, well, well I said, should I get a script? Should I read it? She said, no, she just wants you to do it. That's it. And I said, well, what do we do now? She said, go down and meet her. And there's a, here's, a, here's an address, go down and meet her now. I walked in the room and there was Mark Forrester, the director, and her, and they just looked and looked at me, they went, so did, uh, can you be going on a plane with us tomorrow to Italy? And I said, sure. And I felt like I just jumped off into an abyss. And I fell, and I fell the entire film. And it was a great ride. Mm -hmm. The same with Sam on 1917. The war, I mean, that's like I said, Amy, I'm j jumping off into another abyss. You know, I said, you know, I said this is like, a, what, 
Where am I going? I know nothing about the Great War. But that's the fun part. To me, it's about the adventure. And that's what, when you think about Lawrence Arabia, look at Peter O'Toole. What was the adventure? What am I going to do? And he, that's exactly what he did. And, and that narrative is the thing that uh, has always driven me, I think, is because it was really about the adventure of, of making things exciting in your life and using the, using the gift you have of energy and using the gift you have of your history, of who you, your family was in your family's history and all that, because you are part of that. to what it is to be a production designer. I mean, there are a lot of people who listen to this podcast who know very well what a production designer is, but we have a very diverse set of listeners. And I think there are probably many of them don't really fully understand what it is. And I would be interested to hear you talk about what you think it's about, what it is particular to you, which I'm, I mean, I'm getting a very strong sense of that already. It's a good question. It's a question that uh, is probably one of the hardest ones to answer because I've I've been in so many situations in my career. I mean, one in particular where uh, uh, I I was kind of dread this one in some way. It's uh, the because the way I I I design I design uh, I have something called the wall. I create the wall, which is a series of uh, images uh, that tells the entire narrative of the story, and it's in one room, and it's all done through concept art. I usually have four or five, maybe sometimes six concept arts that are working on different aspects of this as as the ideas uh, come to me uh, from a process, and the process is basically through the through the narrative as I'm basically telling the story from A to Z, and that process is my thinking. It's the nucleus, the nucleus of, of what, what this is going to be, but it also needs to manifest itself in, in something that is exactly what we're going to be doing. And for me, it's about seeing what the color looks like, seeing what the architecture looks like, the architecture first, then color, and how that, uh, how that works itself throughout the entire narrative. So I can look at the film uh, through this concept art and, and know where to solve, where the problems are coming up. So interesting. So it's like a piece of music. It's a visual piece of music. Yeah, yeah. I get and it. so that visual piece of music is is like okay, the the I mean, music is an important part of it. Um, but uh, I work with this this amazing film director named Peter Weir on a, on, a, on a film called The Truman Show. And I asked Peter, I said, so how do you conceive a film? He said, well, I always do it through the music. And I said, okay, what, 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 do you, what example do you give? He said, oh, I always, go to the, I always go to Beethoven's Fifth. He said, they, you know, people come into a dark room and you have to wake them up. Da-da-da-da! <laughs> Then you play with them. And a little false crescendo. 
So you move through that. And so that's like a great example to start. So when I sit and talk with the director, I said, so what is the, I said, where are we going with this film? The first film I did with the Coen brothers, a film called Miller's Crossing. I read this script, extremely complicated script. It was uh, a, gang, a gangster spoof with classic Coen Brothers narrative of a very, um, very obscure old gangster language. And I read the script for the first time, and I came to Amy, my wife, and I said, Whew, uh, I think I better read this again. So I went back, took a breath, went back and I read it again. And as I read it for the second time, I looked at it and, and I said, okay, I understand what I'm going to have to do here. And so I had a theory and, and, and I came up with this process and it's a process I've been doing with every director I've worked with and I said I said so I read the script and then I had to read it again and but I have this idea I'm just going to present it to you if you don't like it's fine I can leave and you know no no problem with that I just but I I'm, but it comes in one word and I just want to tell you this one word and the word for me is columns <laughs> Sitting there, both Joel and Ethan looked at me like this, and they're going, "They got it." Yeah, good. So I said, "So what does that mean to you guys?" He said, "Well, it's about strength, isn't it?" And that became a language, a pattern language of the film. So in every set, I put a column to reinforce that architecturally as the subcontext. So I, my tendency is to think in layers. And the reason, the reason that I wanted to kind of approach it on that way, on that level, is that the fact that I said the language is so complicated, I don't want the audience to miss any of what they say because that's the story. It runs in planes. The first thing that is paramount to any film is the story. If you miss any of the story through this very complicated language, no matter what the background is, the environment that the actor is are in, is relevant. So what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to play that back. I'm going to have to pull back all that, that information of the environments throughout this entire film. 1920, some fictitious world in the East Coast that we manufactured in a place, in, in New Orleans of all places, um, we'll have to have this tonal quality. And I think we'll have a chance at being successful. And they went, yep. Good. That's production design. Hmm. Okay. That's thinking. That's going back to the old story of the nail. Okay. What's wrong with this? Okay, it's broke, it's, it's, it's bent. Okay, what's wrong with, with that script? How do I solve that problem? So then I get to actually start to manufacture scene by scene what that looks like. That's production design. Hmm. And that now all of a sudden was to grow in patterns in a language, in a visual pattern language 
not only design architecturally, but design and color. And then I can go to my costume designer and I can say, Richard, what I want you to do, because you're in the second position, because you're with the actor and the costume, I want you to follow suit. So I'm going to give you a tone, a color tone, color palette, and what you're going to do is you're going to do one thing for me. You're going to add color. So the color is going to be in the tie, it's going to be in the handkerchief in the pocket of the gangster. It's going to be. So we're going to add those little elements. So each frame has a particular language to it that's going to lead you to the next frame. So it's micromanaging the story through all the visuals. That's beautiful. That's an amazing explanation. I have one backup question, and that is, you tend to talk about going from word to image, mm -hmm. that that's the direction. Once you create that wall, once you find that kind of central image, do you then return to the script with a greater depth of understanding and engagement because you've been through that? So there's a reciprocity in word and image. No, because I've already done that work. So I read the script and I visualize. When I read, I visualize because I'm so dyslexic. It takes me a long time to read a script. So what I do is I visualize it as I'm reading it. So I pre-visualize everything. So I have, when I finish the script, I have everything in my head. Just a matter of now getting it out mm -hmm. and presenting it. Mm -hmm. That's what I have to do before I even take the film, before I can even come up with the, the word. To go through that process. I have to go through that process. So right. it takes me a while to understand that. So my background is as a theater director. Oh, okay, okay, good. And for me, I re read the text and my training or my inclination yeah. was then to go to conceptualize an idea. Yeah. But I used language and words and intellectual concept to do that yeah. until I kind of grew and developed and met people like you really and saw that it doesn't always have to go in that direction that that concept that idea yeah. can come through a visual sensibility and then my question about reciprocity is then you can crystallize it in that column exactly all that yeah i mean that's the fun part yeah you have to have a starting place and the starting place can be anywhere but you, that starting place, once, you, once you're with the script, that's interesting. The starting place is this visual collage yeah. of your mind, this yeah. musicality of yeah. images. That it only here. comes with, the, with a lot of experience, too. You know, in, in, in the earlier days, you know, you're just reaching for, you're trying to find ways of expressing yourself. And this just happens to manifest itself the way I've, this is my, yeah, my, yeah. my, yeah. my technique. It's, it's, it's about learning your technique and finding it. All right, I could ask you about so many films, but I, I think what I'd love to do is, is focus on 1917 okay. because it's in theaters now and okay. it's fresh and... I have lots of questions about it, but I, I would love just to open it up and for you to talk about the film, give a, the listeners a sense of your relationship with that film and a little bit about how it evolved. And then I'd like to get a little deeper into a couple of areas. Okay. 
I decided to go on a wander uh, with Amy, my wife. Uh, we have a 1962 vintage Airstream trailer. And um, decided I uh, wanted to go to uh, Alaska. And uh, wanted to chop wood and, and make, uh, make fires and cook over the fire and swim in glacier lakes and rivers. I wanted to have uh, a, a primal experience, going back into uh, the deepest part of, uh, of my history and my soul. And uh, at the end of the road, <clears throat> there's a place called Homer, Alaska. Uh, you look, look across into the mist and there's Russia. And there's a sign that says, end of road. And we were parked there in a little campsite on the beach. And, and there was a, I got an email. I hadn't had email in about five days. And I looked at the email and it said, it was from Sam. I said, this is from Sam. It said, do not do the Bond film. I have a film, very ambitious, sending script now. And ping, the script comes through. I looked at my cell phone. Uh, I read, read, read it in one hour and 58 minutes. And Amy said, you finished with that? I said, yeah. She said, I've got to do this. This is the most amazing thing I've ever read. So I rang him and I said, uh, I pick, Sam picked up and he said, uh, I said, hey Sam, Stan. He says, you in? I said, I'm in. He says, you, me, Roger? Yeah, yeah, okay. Good, when can you come? October. I said, okay, goodbye. Roger Deacons. Just for listeners, the cinematographer. Yeah, Roger. Who you worked with on a lot of other yeah. films, too. Yeah, this well for 28 years. Right, right, right. 20 years with Sam, 28 with the Roger. And so I didn't know that much about the Great War, and that was partly why I wanted to do it. But partly the fact is that uh, what he said was uh, ambitious. And when Sam says ambitious, now I've done two Bond films with him, that means something. So I said, okay. I felt like I was ready. I'd been chopping wood for, for two months, making fires for two months. I've got two more months to travel, to get stronger and stronger and, and do that. So more glacier lakes, more, more streams, more chopping wood. And then, uh, and then I'm going to go to London and I'm going to, I'm going to plug into this world and see what, see what we can do with it. And so I arrived to uh, 50,000 photographs of imagery that Sam had culled through with a uh, military uh, expert uh, who had read the script and gave him this document. And that gave me a foundation of what I was going to do based on, of course, the script, which was a uh, very linear, like apocalypse, uh, mission. And talked, sat down with him, with Sam, and I said, "So, you know, this is all about choreography because it, the first page of the script said to look like one continuous shot, and we'd done this uh, in Spectre. The opening sequence of that film was done as a continuous shot, so we knew a little bit about it. We figured out how to go about doing something like that, and so that was uh, the foundation of it. And he said, "I think we can do this," and I said, "Well, it's." What you're saying now reminds me of what I felt like when I read the script in my little trailer in, in Alaska and what I felt that was a dream. And he says, you're right, it was a, because that's what I've been dreaming about since my grandfather told me that when I was 12 years old. So I've been dreaming about this. And I said, yeah, okay, well, I understand that now. 
that that's the kind of the way I felt about it. So I think you know, I mean, this is partly the way when you work with somebody for five movies, if I mean, there were four movies, and our, this was going to be our fifth. You have a, a pretty under, good understanding of thinking philosophy and and how you're going to go about doing it and process. So it became very very clear to us at, at this point that it was going to be a field in London, Sam, Roger, myself, the art department with uh, stakes in the ground, measuring it inch by inch and going inch by inch uh, that journey as Sam was reading the script, running, going at pace, going at pace, going at pace, trying to figure out the pace of this for length. So it was about length and then length and how long we were going to have to do this. And I said, the first thing I said to him, I said, we're going to measure this and, and make sure that we have a perfect document because I'm not going to be on the day uh, building trenches for you. It's basically choreography. I'd done this with Rob Marshall and Into the Woods uh, because you know, Sondheim's music was, was you know, like this. It was, it was a measure. And you need, we needed to choreograph every little movement in order to make that work. And we spent three months choreographing it with cut out trees, moving them around, adjusting them so the actors could be in, 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 informed. And, and this is exactly how we had to play it. Um, so that process went on and on and on and on and on for about five months of planning uh, and building uh, and correcting and adjusting and uh, getting it so it was perfect. Driven as much by the visuals as it was by this sense of timing and getting everything to set up right. The complicated even more was the choreographing of the camera and how the camera worked. I mean, that was part of the journey, was Roger trying to figure out, well, we have to well, come sense, shift yeah. around, we, and we're pulling, we're pushing, and we're pulling, because you've got a narrow space. You've got to push, pull, you have to allow for that. And then the combination of all your extras that are there, that are moving through the trenches. So all the choreography of that, I mean, it's a minefield of it's a problems. It's a dance. Yeah, it's a minefield problem. It, it is, it's a dance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It is a dance, yeah. It's a long, long dance. Um, the tr it's really the trenches. The trenches were probably the most arduous. But then <laughs> the complications of that, which is not under my control or anybody's control, is the weather because of the lighting. Because we were totally exposed. Right. Totally exposed. You see a film that is about total luck in weather. And the result, of, or some of the result of it is, well, first off, strikingly, a kind of intimacy with the experience of the yeah, character. It was always set, set to be that way, yeah. Very profound. Yeah. Very, very profound. I remember writing about an Orson Welles film that he did on Falstaff, called Falstaff or Chimes at Midnight, he made in the mid-60s. And he did a, a, the Battle of Shrewsbury from the first part of Henry IV. Mm. And that battle was revolutionary. It was striking in the fact that you were so intimate with every fall, every stab, every engagement with the muck of the earth. And it reminded me of a, an exceedingly sophisticated version of that kind of experience. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was, well, there were a lot of examples. Uh, we looked at a lot of research and a lot of history about, the, about how things were done. Uh, but, you know, that was relevant, but, but not that much, quite honestly, because we'd, we'd already, we were kind of on that path already, and we didn't have a whole lot of time to kind of distract ourselves uh, with it. Uh, we, were, we were running as fast as we could. What I didn't quite understand, because I didn't have it in my DNA, until 
something happened. I, I went on a research trip out to um, uh, France to a place called uh, Vimy and the Somme, the two places that the war had taken place, and there were huge battles that were pivotal in the war. Uh, and the first, the first one that uh, I went to was uh, was Vimy, and and I was walking through, and they they had uncovered uh, trenches, and 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 so there was a huge monument and a museum and everything that was dedicated to this particular battle, and uh, and there was a young a young uh, woman walking uh, who was guiding us through, and and uh, in the kind of a green uniform, and and they detected something. I said. I did, can I just pull you aside for just one second? Just one. He said, "Where are you from?" He said, "Well, I'm Canadian." I went, "Well, why, why are you here?" He says, "Well, this is the Canadian War." Hmm. And all of a sudden, my DNA started to like you know just like like shiver. Hmm. And all of a sudden, I was so invested in the war, and I realized when I went back to England, that's why we need to make this movie. I didn't quite understand it yet. I didn't. So it was just kind of this whole lifting of my, my passion and the passion that everybody had for this film as a group, the camaraderie with these group of people was unlike anything I'd ever done. You know, it, it's echoing with what you said earlier about being a method designer. <laughs> Absolutely. Because one of the, just the experience I had watching the film just was that so much of the film was a dialogue between the character and the landscape. Yeah. And that landscape that you created. Yeah. And that was the, that was the conversation that was happening. Yeah, I, I got to a place where I didn't, I didn't even see it anymore. It was so, you uh, mean, I was so exhausted at the end of it. I mean, I mean, seriously, I mean, if I, I mean, I did Jarhead with Sam, and, and that was an arduous task. Right. Um, different. This was... But a war I, film, too, yeah. A war film, but I didn't have the passion I had. I mean, there was, there was it, you had to do the work. It was strong work, hard work, and good work, and you did the work. But nothing like this. Nothing like this, nothing like this for the entire company. This is, I mean, if you're going to go to war, go to war with Sam Mendes. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine there's a good story about designing the ruins of the French village in the film. Yeah, well, that was uh, one of the bigger things we had to build. Um, Which is simultaneously brutal and, and horrifying and kind of gorgeous with the way it's lit. And well, uh, when I, interesting you say that because uh, when Amy, Amy and I were in the trailer in Alaska. At the end of the road, by the way, I just don't want that metaphor to, what? to go away, that there, there you were at the end of the road. Yeah, at, at the end of the road. And then this <laughs> opening happens in your life. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry, I just that, that, I thought that, that was poetic. You, right, that was poetic. <laughs> Thank you for that. So Amy said, are you sure you want to do this? Because I had a hard time at, at Jarhead. It was a disturbing film for me to do. And I said, yeah, I, I, when I finished the script, I sat here for a while and, and I said, okay, well, I figured, I figured out how to do it. I'm going to approach it this way. And this is what I told every person in the art department when I arrived in London. And they were a brand new crew to me. Not one person I had worked with before, mm -hmm. except for one. I said, my process is this. This is going to be the art of war. I'm going to make this to, to look like a dream. That's the way I want it to feel. 
And then when I met with Roger and we were talking and I said, you know, this just really felt like a dream to me, you know, and he's, yeah, that's, that's the way I feel too. And Sam, I think Sam feels the same way. And I said, I said, yeah, well, let's, let's just do that. Let's just make it like a dream. And so the camera, that floating camera, that camera that just allowed you to be part of that, that movement, that feeling of right. the movement of the camera, to me was very dreamlike. Right. And that, that it w was compounded the beauty. Uh, it actually made the architecture beautiful, that fusion of, of two things that Roger and I did together. Was that ruined village built? Totally. Every, everything you saw in this movie was built. Brick by brick, wow. stick by stick. It was an extraordinary thing to do. So the village, the Kust is the, was the name, was, this is the, the, the fun part about, about uh, you have an idea because you look at all this research and all the research are ruins uh, because it's already, that's, those are the pictures that people took. In the fifty thousand images I looked at of all the all the you know, destruction, and Sam said to me one day, he said, "Well, what did it look like before it was ruined?" That's a great idea. So we designed the city, the city to look real before we destroyed it, and then we destroyed it, and so we just took incrementally destroyed it to get to a place where we said, "That's it." Oh, a little bit more here. A little bit more there. Okay, there, that's it. Okay, that. Okay, that. Okay, let's take there. There. Okay, that's the right feeling. That's right here. So it became a sculpture piece, and the beauty of that is so in knowing because I walked that street. I mean, everybody walked that street. The art department walked that street. You know, for ten miles a day, practically. I mean, it's amazing. Everybody had little quarters on how much how much mileage they put on walking that street. Looking at details, finding details, adjusting little things like that for a running sequence. And that's what it took to have that feeling. It's the, the emotional context of all of that when every set, every detail, every little thing was, uh, was looked at and examined because in the volume of that, would be something that I thought was, was going to be beautiful. It's like the decay. It's the, the beauty of, uh, of destruction, the beauty of something. That, it's uh, so interesting that you're putting it that way. Yeah, that's the relationship. That was the dynamic. That's how you have to approach it. It's not, you can't, you can't look at it in, in a real sense. You have to look at it as a piece of art. Yeah. And so it was a piece of art. Yeah. It was the it was the art of war, and so that was yeah, the, yeah, truly. And so that's how I approached it, and and I said that to everybody, and ha I had personal talks with everybody that I met in the art department, and I said, when you draw that, and you're in the trench, and you're drawing that little section of trench that you draw, you make that the most beautiful thing that you possibly can. You've been so generous with your time. I just feel like I have one more burning question before we we wrap this up, and. This conversation has been so delightful and very meaningful to me. And you strike me as a born teacher. And since I run a college, I'm just wondering. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in a, in a very serious way, you, you, you have so much to give and you are able to capture an audience and a listener with great story and a kind of wisdom and experience that goes with it. Yeah, there, like, there seems to be a calling uh, to me yeah, no, that I like, I'm feeling. I like. About uh, that. I mean, I, I do. I do this every day. 
when I work. I mean, I do every day. That's all that I'm doing is teaching these young people uh, every day. It's just part of the process. You know, you get to have a master class, you know, and you get paid for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you do the work. Because I've been there. I've been on the, the bottom side of that, sure. where I've done all the work. Sure. So I want to bring that to you as a mentor to you on a daily basis. And I think that's an important part, you know, being... Um, to me, it's when I got in this business, when I uh, first went out, something happened to me once, and I remember it with this on, on this small film called Big Fish, a Tim Burton film. Tim Burton, right. I went to this community, uh, small community somewhere in the south, and I had the location manager come to me and said, uh, uh, I looked at these location pictures, and I thought, this is a great place. I think this could work for us for the movie. Um, it could be a good part of the film. And she came to me and she said, well, I've met with the elders and they have a problem. I'm like, well, what's the problem? She said, well, they had a film company shoot here uh, a couple years ago and they, uh, they promised them uh, things and, and then they left and they didn't pay them. And I said, oh, that's really sad. Uh, Do you mind if I talk to them? And so uh, she said, give me some time, I'll put that together. And so I said, okay. So I went into City Hall in uh, the small town, and I went in, and I, and I promised them through a series of stories that, that I would take care of them. And you will have the most amazing experience of your life. And I made it my goal to make their lives better lives and have an incredible experience on a film. And in that, you clearly have so much to share, and it's quite powerful. And so um, as part of the great future ahead for you, I see teaching. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. In whatever way. I'm sure you do do it every day, in whatever way it might take shape. But uh, I just wanted to say that 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 came through very, very clearly to me. And thank you for this also. Speak of being deeply grateful. What fun. Fantastic. (laughs) It's been fun for me, too. Change Lab is produced out of Art Center College of Design. I'd like to extend a special thanks to our small but mighty production staff. Producer Christine Spines, co-producer Luis Silva, editor Emily Van Bergen, and post-production supervisor and production consultant Christopher Olin. <laughs>